Today on the Word Preacher Podcast, Ignorance of the Law, the Side Effects of Knowledge, and the Perils of Sin. I'm Brett Jensen, and this is the Word Preacher Podcast. Our reading uh, in the Come Follow Me curriculum brings us to 2 Nephi chapter 6 through 10. There's a lot of really good stuff in here. We are going to focus almost entirely on chapter 9, some of the warnings that are given by Jacob, the brother of Nephi. Uh, Let's go ahead and get started in 2 Nephi chapter 9, verses 23 through 27. And he commandeth all men that they must repent and be baptized in his name, having perfect faith in the Holy One of Israel, where they cannot be saved in the kingdom of God. And if they will not repent and believe in his name and be baptized in his name and endure to the end, they must be damned. For the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, has spoken it. Wherefore he has given a law, and there is no law given, there is no punishment. And where there is no punishment, there is no condemnation. And where there is no condemnation, the mercies of the Holy One of Israel have claim upon them because of the atonement, for they are delivered by the power of him. For the atonement satisfieth the demands of his justice upon all those who have not the law given to them, that they are delivered from that awful monster, death and hell and the devil, and the lake of fire and brimstone, which is endless torment, and they are restored to that God who gave them breath, which is the Holy One of Israel. But woe unto him that has the law given, yea, that has all the commandments of God like unto us, and that transgresseth them, and that wasteth the days of his probation, for awful is his state. All right, so this is a really interesting passage where he talks about um, people who should know better being more responsible for their actions. Well, on the one hand, people are generally required to keep the commandments and repent when they do not. This is the understanding that we gain from the gospel. People are generally required to be baptized. This is a general uh, requirement for anyone who has a knowledge of the truth. On the other hand, people who don't know about the law, they're delivered in spite of their sins. Which brings us to the question, if this is the case, why send prophets and scriptures? If people can be saved in ignorance of the law, why not let all people be delivered by just not teaching anyone? Well, there are two important approaches to this concept. First, um, we're already in this situation even when we know, because we don't know what we don't know. There are probably things that we are currently doing that we should not be doing. When we think about this, religious people who accepted Moses had trouble accepting Christ. 
They, they didn't know about some of the things that Christ would be doing. Devout Christians today have difficulty accepting the Book of Mormon and modern prophets, not because they don't believe in Jesus necessarily, but they don't know all of these truths associated with the Book of Mormon and modern prophecy. Even faithful members of the Church of Jesus Christ who have received temple blessings should not pretend that they have, quote, arrived. God will yet reveal many great and important things pertaining to his kingdom. Fortunately, we are not under condemnation for laws that we have yet to learn about or that are yet to be revealed. Another approach looking at these same examples that we talked about for the, the previous, uh, are, are devout Jews privileged over those who are under the effects of apostasies of Noah? Are they not better off for what knowledge they have? Are Christians worse off because of their acceptance of Christ's teachings? Uh, or does the teachings of Christ not improve their lives? Are Latter-day Saints better off for having access to the gift of the Holy Ghost, for priesthood power, for temple blessings. The word of God is considered a two-edged sword because it has the potential to be very beneficial, but also very dangerous for those who learn and reject the will of God. Ultimately, though, all the children of God will have to make the choice, either to follow God or not. And those who have diligently prepared, well, if they filled their lamps with oil, as Jesus taught, they will have an advantage. They will be empowered. Um, it is better to know. Um, that's that's why we, we send prophets and apostles out. It's better to know. All right, now, that having said, there are some side effects of knowledge. Let's uh, continue reading. Second Nephi chapter 9, verses 18 through 30. Oh, that cunning plan of the evil one, oh, the vainness and the frailties and the foolishness of men. When they are learned, they think they are wise, and they hearken not to the counsel of God, for they set it aside, supposing they know of themselves. Wherefore, their wisdom is foolishness, and it profiteth them not, and they perish. But to be learned is good, if they hearken unto the counsels of God. But woe unto the rich who are rich as to things of the world, for because they are rich they despise the poor, and they persecute the meek, and their hearts are set upon their treasures, wherefore their treasure is their God, and behold, their treasure shall perish with them also. All right. Um, the Doctrine and Covenants contains a famous passage observing that almost any time a man gets a little authority in their own eyes, they immediately begin exercising unrighteous dominion over others. Uh, it's a very important teaching, but it's also important to note that this is not limited to authority. 
Um, if we look at the richest example, certainly many people in modern politics observe the tendencies of those who acquire wealth to use their wealth to manipulate or to oppress or gain advantages, even though having wealth does not necessarily mean selfishness, nor is it bad that wealth exists any more than it's bad that authority exists. It probably should and some people are better at it than others. But there is a tendency, a natural man tendency, to do things that we probably shouldn't, to indulge in things we shouldn't when we have the ability to do so. Now, more surprising is the observation that this principle also applies to knowledge. But if we think a little bit about it, maybe it shouldn't be as surprising. I mean, I've seen a lot of first-year undergraduates in college offer their expert opinions in fields in which they have only scratched the surface. I'm just a first-year student, but uh, this is definitely how it works. Eh, maybe. We also have examples throughout history of, of certain people who defy the conventional understanding of experts and help establish new understanding. Uh, whether that's Galileo, or whether it's Copernicus, or uh, whether it's Isaac Newton, or, or uh, several others, Euler, uh, many brilliant people who have tried things that were not really conventional and came up with something that really helped. For many people, as soon as they get a little bit of understanding, they think that they are wise. Or if they become acquainted with a few experts who establish conventional thinking, well, then they are wise. They know that this is the, the place to turn. And it's difficult to think of a field or a subject in which this principle does not apply, whether it's biology, mathematics, psychology, and first-year psychology experts, chemistry, physics, literature, history, and of course, theology. Some people who have not studied the gospel deeply suddenly become acquainted with a few concepts from um, antagonist sources. Someone who uh, is a skeptic of Christ or of a prophet or of the church. And then they immediately believe that after becoming acquainted with this material, that they are now experts and that the rest, the entirety of the church, are simply misled. They're brainwashed, they're following lies, they're a cult after a little bit of, of this reading. This is really kind of ridiculous. It's wrong. Holding on to spiritual truths in humility can help any person with the side effects of learning new things, lest a person suddenly think that they have become wise and that they have arrived at ultimate truth. Even the most studious gospel scholars acknowledge the mountain of stuff that we just don't know. 
and our continued dependence on the source of all knowledge to learn. This is vitally important that when when we're discovering new things, that we keep this same idea in mind. If we are learned, we are not wise. We are wise if we follow the counsel of the source of all knowledge. We are wise when we are humble. All right, let's talk a little bit about some of the warnings that are given regarding the perils of sin. Here's a passage in 2 Nephi chapter 9, verses 31 through 39. And woe unto the deaf that will not hear, for they shall perish. Woe unto the blind that will not see, for they shall perish also. Woe unto the uncircumcised of heart, for a knowledge of their iniquities shall smite them at the last day. Woe unto the liar, for he shall be thrust down to hell. Woe unto the murderer who deliberately killeth, for he shall die. Woe unto them who commit whoredoms, for they shall be thrust down to hell. Yea, woe unto those that worship idols, for the devil of all devils delighteth in them. And in fine, woe unto all those who die in their sins, for they shall return to God and behold his face and remain in their sins. O my beloved brethren, remember the awfulness in transgressing against that holy God, and also the awfulness of yielding to the enticings of that cunning one. Remember, to be carnally minded is death, and to be spiritually minded is life eternal. All right, there's a lot to unpack here. I'm going to start with one that was a favorite when I was in the um, youth program when I was a young man. Second Nephi chapter 934, Woe unto the liar, for he shall be thrust down to hell. This was always a fun scripture to uh, cite the reference for if you suspect that someone is not being forthcoming. Um, anytime somebody suggests something that seems wrong, you can say, what does it say in Second Nephi 934? Uh, essentially, that's, uh, uh, that's a fairly harsh way of saying, I don't believe you. Um, that having been said, the warning is not just fun and games. This is a legitimate thing. Honesty is a real issue. Ironically, liars typically lie in an effort to be liked better. They think if they can lie about some credential that they have or an experience that they've had, that they will be respected and liked more. Or if they can minimize things that they've done wrong or excuse their mistakes, they will be liked better. And maybe to some degree that can be successful, but in the end, no one likes liars. So the effort to be liked better by lying is probably only going to be result, uh, is probably in the end going to result in being liked less. Jesus 
was the perfect example of honesty. He defined himself as the truth. And that's a really tough thing to do. I mean, when you think of all of the things that we emphasize or de-emphasize as we communicate to try and, and make things smooth or improve our dealings, that can be really tough. Um, Jesus's example is really important to those who are striving to improve in their dealings uh, with their fellow men, to become more honest. Consider how he was honest by simply not answering certain questions um, that he could have answered honestly. For example, uh, some of the Jews came and said, you know, where does your authority come from? And he responded by saying, well, first, tell me, the baptism of John, was it from God or of men? So he asked them the same sort of trick question when they would not answer. He was perfectly justified in saying, neither do I tell thee by what authority I do these things. Sometimes it was complete silence. Uh, it's noted in several places, as a sheep before the shearer is dumb, he opened not his mouth. Before Herod and at times before Pilate, there were times when it didn't matter that he was being asked something. He didn't have to say anything. He was also careful when he did speak frequently about making sure that his message reached the right ears. And this was frequently done by using parables where the people who had access to the Spirit to help direct them would be able to get something out of what he was saying. And his enemies would think, well, that was a weird story. And so he could communicate with the right people that he was trying to reach. Additionally, it is important to note, sometimes he decided to speak plainly and openly, and he did not apologize for the truth. When he boldly declared to uh, the people who were attacking him, before Abraham was, I am. Certainly, they did not like that, and he knew that they would not like that, but he never apologized for declaring the truth. Um, if we look in this list, there's also a passage that describes the uncircumcised of heart. Circumcision was actually a really important element of ancient worship that has modern application. Um, it doesn't matter if you were born that way. For the sake of the covenant, you change your nature. This is a critical idea associated with the practice. And though this practice is no longer mandatory with the coming of Christ and the ministry of his apostles to all nations, kindreds, tongues, and people, the idea to deny oneself all ungodliness still carries the same thing that the practice of circumcision implied in the old law that we trim away the parts of our heart that long for things that we ought not. This element 
of this law, that's still in force. That's still applicable. That we should find the parts of our nature that are not in harmony with what our covenants with God should have us be and cut them away. Um, some of them are kind of obvious, some of these in this list that Jacob gave, like murder, woe unto the murder that deliberately killeth. What a surprise. Yeah, yeah, God is not okay with that. Whoredoms. Um, whoredoms represent the idea that two adults can consent to something and that it is therefore okay. Now, whether this exchange involves money or internet clicks or page views or anything else, if the powers of procreation are not bound within the covenant of marriage, they are unacceptable to God, destructive to the spirit, and potentially devastating to actual commitments with marriage and family. This is a serious issue. This isn't just um, people being prudes. These actions, the powers of procreation, are very powerful and stir up very powerful feelings that ought to be contained with a covenant, the covenant of marriage, that protects not only those who participate in procreation, but also the children born. Um, all right, finally, the last point here that he makes. Carnally minded is death. Spiritually minded is life eternal. Um, frequently, I've had several people point out, uh, and, and I don't remember who was first, uh, that you can starting with spiritually minded is life eternal, that if you take the first letter of each of those, it forms the word smile as a good reminder that our purpose is to obtain something beyond immediate pleasure. And like the merchant of Jesus's parable, it is worth selling all we have to obtain the pearl of great price. Carnally minded, what we get right here might be nice, but we're looking for something more permanent. In the end, we can be better. We can live better if we are careful with our choices and prioritize what brings lasting happiness. It is vital that we not fall into complacency. There is more to learn. And the humble are capable of learning from many more sources. Though knowledge brings responsibility, it is better to know and to be responsible. We appreciate all the support for the Word Preacher podcast. Next week, we will be looking at 2 Nephi chapters 11 through 25, asking, why is Isaiah in the Book of Mormon so often? Of course, there's a lot of other material that we had in our reading this week. Please study the other chapters associated with this in your own independent study. And as always, fight on. Fight on.